Uh, Father, we ask you to bless our study in the book of Judges, chapters 12, 13, and 14. And as we begin to look at the life of Samson, Lord, speak to us, minister to us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible tonight, turn with me uh, to the book of Judges. Let's go to chapter 12, and then we're going to look at chapter 13 and 14. And we want to kind of close up the ministry of, of Jephthah. Uh, and so we want to look at Jephthah's conflict and Samson's birth. Now, Jephthah, remember that uh, they had acquired him. He's, uh, he's not a good guy but he's a good warrior. And so the, the Israelites wanted him and they needed him. And he was victorious in uh, the various battles. But before we get into his study again, remember in the last sections that we studied of him, he made a vow, a very foolish vow. And you need to pay attention to that. Careful when you make promises to God. Are you sure you're going to keep them? And so he says, Lord, we get this victory, and whoever comes out of my house uh, when I come home victorious, I will sacrifice. I will sacrifice them to you. Who was he expecting to come out? Uh, some guys say uh, his wife. He was hoping his wife would come out. I don't know. But uh, his only daughter, his only child. And according to the scriptures, he went ahead and offered her as a sacrifice. And that's uh, unscriptural uh, in the Old Testament, obviously in the New Testament. And so let's get into this portion now. In Judges chapter 12, Jephthah's conflict uh, with the Ephraimites. Then the men of Ephraim gathered together, crossed over toward Zaphon, and said to Jeph Jephthah, Why did you cross over uh, to fight against the people of Amnon and did not call us to go with you? Uh, we will burn your house down on you with fire. This is critical here. Is, is there some form of jealousy here? And the reason I say that, the Ephraimites did the same thing in earlier chapters uh, with Gideon because Gideon took the victory over the Midianites and they wanted to join the battle. But they had every opportunity to join the battle. But Gideon gave in to them. Uh, Jephthah did not. Listen to verse 2. And Jephthah said to them, My people and I were in a great struggle with the people of Amnon. And when I called you, you did not deliver me out of their hands. So uh, Jephthah did reach out to them. And so he's letting them know up front, it's your fault, you abandoned me. In verse 3, so when I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life into my own hands, and I crossed over against the people of Amnon, and the Lord delivered me into my hand. He delivered them into their hands. I mean, I, I like that Jephthah here is giving God the glory. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? Basically because I didn't invite you to the battle. Now you want into the, you know, the victory lap, if you may. Now Gideon, again, was nice to the Ephraimites, but Jephthah 
was a concubine's uh, son. She was, he was from a harlot, basically. And so he was a tough guy, and he wasn't going to put up with them. Notice verse 4. Now Jephthah gathered together all the men of, of Gilead and fought against the Ephraim, and the men of Gilead defeated Ephraim because they said, you Giladites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Massonites. He says these were very rude and crude people, uh, fugitives of Israel, but Jephthah defeated them. He took the victory. And so I just see the interesting points here. Uh, Jephthah was not going to put up with them. Yet Gideon kind of did put up with them. Now, in verse 5, the Gileadites seized the fords. Remember, the fords were the crossing places of the Jordan. It would have been the best place to, to, to go across the Jordan. And so they seized the fords of the Jordan uh, before the Ephraimites arrived. And when the Ephraimites who escaped said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead would say to, uh, to him, are you an Ephraimite? Now, pick up on what's taking place here. If he said no, <laughs> death would come. Watch this. Then they would say to him, and this is interesting. I struggle with the Hebrew names as it is. You've been here long enough. But this is a test that would give them. I'm thinking of the Galileans. They had that speech, and you could tell. And so in verse 6, then they would say to him, uh, then say uh, Shibboleth. And they would say Sibboleth, and if I'm saying it right, for he could not pronounce it right or correct. Then they would take him and kill him at the fords or the crossing places of the Jordan. There fell at that time 42 thousand Ephraimites. Crazy when you think of these things. Now, in all of our languages, you know, you're, you're going to have a certain speech impediment. I mean, I have family back home, and they're educated. They cannot say the word chair. It's share. And I go, no, that's Sonny and share. This is a chair. But they struggle with it, and you'll see it. And so this is the situation here. Now, I practice that, so I would say, chair. <laughs> and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Look at verse 7. And Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Giladite died and was buried among the cities of Gilead. Now, one commentary brought up something interesting, and I'm just going to leave you with this. He died early because six years as a judge, he was a good judge. Uh, he was a warrior, and they needed him. But they said that he died uh, possibly over the grief of his daughter. I mean, he made that foolish vow. And remember, we shared in the Levitical law, he had a way of escape. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to complete the vow. And again, God never required human sacrifice. And so you say, well, how can this guy's a warrior? Yeah, but his heart's grieving. He followed through, and his daughter said, let it be so. And so he lost his only sibling, uh, his only offspring. And so now we come up to uh, uh, several more judges. Now, I've been giving you the number of the judge, but uh, when you go to various commentaries, 
They give you so many different uh, variations. Well, no, this one was a judge. This one wasn't a judge. And so it really doesn't matter, but they are judges. Is this the ninth judge, the tenth judge, eleventh judge? I don't know. And so Ebzan, Elon, and Abdon. And so you, I have here the ninth judge, tenth judge, eleventh judge. In verse 8, after him, uh, speaking of Jephthah, uh, Ebzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons, and he gave away 30 daughters in marriage. And he brought in 30 daughters from elsewhere. These were foreigners for his sons. And he judged Israel for seven years. A short term when you think about it. And could it be that because he brought in the foreign wives for the children? Then Ibzon died and was buried at Bethlehem. After him, Elon, uh, the tenth judge, that's what I see it, uh, the Zebul Zebulonite, judged Israel. He judged Israel for ten years. And Elon, the Zebulonite, uh, died and was buried at uh, Ajalon uh, in the country of Zebulon. After him, Abdon, number 11th judge, the son of Hillel, and this guy, the Pyrathonite, judged Israel. And so we don't have much background on these guys. We knew about Jephthah. We knew about Gideon. We knew about several other judges. And we're going to get into Samson. And he's well known. But some of these, there's no real background on them. And uh, you wonder how they were chosen as the judges. But six years, seven years, ten years, that's a short term. Judge should be there for a while. Look at verse 14. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on the 70 young donkeys. He judged Israel for only eight years. Again, short time. Then Abdon, the son of Hillel, uh, the Pyrathonite died and was buried in Pyrathon in the land of Ephraim in the mountains of the Amalekites. And so again, uh, very difficult for us. You can look it up uh, all in, the, in your maps and such, but even then it doesn't mean that much to us. But these were the lands at the time and the various places where the different uh, tribes went and those that were uh, renegades and those that were leaving the various tribes, they went out and did other things. And so that's what we see here. Now, we're going to spend some time on uh, Samson for the next several weeks. And uh, he's a good study. Was he called of God? Obviously. Did he falter? Yes. Did he fail miserably? Yes. Was he redeemed? Yes. And that's the God that we serve. That's the God that we serve. Who doesn't make mistakes? We all do. And here we are in the you know, 21st century New Testament church, and uh, I thank God for the grace of God. I thank God for the grace of God. Uh, there's always these stories that come up uh, for the new year. And so I'm reading this story about this pastor uh, that a year ago he was going to make this New Year's resolution for last year, and that he was going to abandon God for one year, and he did. Well, he's announcing now he doesn't believe there's God. And so he's leaving the ministry, obviously, but he's leaving God. He wants to leave the ministry, that's okay. That's your prerogative. 
But how are you going to leave the grace of God? How are you going to leave that commitment you made to Christ? But whatever he did for that whole year was enough for him to say, that's enough. Well, God spare his soul. But these are, you know, again, foolish vows, if you may. But now we come into Samson, and we know that uh, he faltered quite a bit. And I'm going to share why we're going to see it. He goes back to Babylon, or he goes back to Egypt. He goes back to that sin nature. He goes back to the foreign gods. I mean, all of us have a Babylon. All of us have a, a, an Egypt, and, and that's where we came from, whatever that sin nature is. And if we dabble back into that area, don't be surprised that you're going to fall short. Now, Samson was God's call on his life. But I want you to mark this down. You need to study Numbers uh, chapter 6. And there in Numbers chapter 6 is, is the, the vow of a Nazarite. And so let's begin here in verse 1, Judges chapter 13. Again, the children of Israel, and here's that repeated phrase, did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Interesting, the number 40 in Scripture it speaks of judgment. This is the seventh time of apostasy of Israel, listen to this, to foreign gods. That was always their problem. I'm going to give you a little bit of homework here. I want you to study 1 Kings chapter 15. And it's a king by the name of Asa. That's the full story there. The short version is, is you can study that quickly in 2 Chronicles chapter 14. But the story of King Asa, he was the king of Judah, and he was a, a good king. That was his testimony. And as we, when we get into the kings, you'll understand when I say he was a good king, because the majority of them were not good kings. They were evil kings. And these were kings of Israel and kings of Judah. Remember, there's a division. And so Asa reigned in his son's place, Abijah, for 10 years, and 10 years there was this quiet and this peace in the land. Asa's story that he did what was good and what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He was a good man. He served the Lord. And how is it that you're a good man or you're a good woman uh, in Christ, in God? And it's because you're obedient to the word of God. Oh, do we make mistakes? Yes, we all make mistakes. But to be obedient to God's word. And when you're blatantly not obedient, God's going to call you on the carpet sooner or later. And naturally, you always blame God. I don't understand that. But I've seen it over and over and over again. This guy, you know, takes a sabbatical from God uh, for a year, and I guess he must have enjoyed it because now he doesn't believe in God. Well, he needs to repent. Look at verse 2. Now there was a certain man from Zorah uh, of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah. This is Samson's dad eventually. And his wife was barren and had no children. Now you have to understand something. They're going to be dealing with the Philistines. They were a hard people. They were originally Canaanites. 
And so the judgment has to come, but Samson isn't born yet. And Manoah's wife can't have children. Now, some of you might know somebody, family, friend, loved one, and, and you know, they can't have children, and it's tough. I know a couple of people, and it's hard. And a lot of times they go to adoption, and that's good. And sometimes they, not even adoption satisfies their, their desire that they want a child. And it hurts to see that when we see so many abortions. We see so many people, you know, just throwing the, the baby out there. And here's people that want a child. Well, I want you to think as a Jewish mom, as a Jewish woman, uh, for you not to have a child, uh, to be barren, it was almost considered a curse. And they would look at you. They would point their finger at you. And so we see other women in the scriptures, and they wanted children. And so here's Manoah's wife. And the angel of the Lord now, in verse 3, appeared to the woman and, and said to her, Indeed now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. I mean, what did she understand there when that was spoken to her? Her heart had to leap. Or does she know this is the angel of the Lord yet? But let's go on and continue. Now, therefore, verse 4, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink, not to eat anything unclean. Uh, the angel speaking about Numbers chapter 6. And that was the, the vow of a Nazarite. Now, the vow of a Nazarite, you go back, they, have to, they can't have anything uh, to do with dead carcasses. They can't have anything to do with a grapevine, not even raisins, believe it or not. And uh, they shave their head. They, then they let their beards grow. And I mean, just a lot of stuff. But these vows of the Nazarite were generally... 30 days to 60 days, maybe a little bit longer. If you remember when Paul came back and he had been with the Gentiles, uh, he went and shaved his head so he could go in and become purified because he had been with Gentiles. And so we understand that John the Baptist was probably also uh, a Nazarite. But she's already getting instructions how to raise this child. It, it, She's probably not even pregnant yet. And I want you to think of her faith. I want you to think of her obedience. But look at verse 4. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. So God had a purpose. God had a reason. I don't know if you've ever come to that place in your own life and, you know, maybe things are not going right and, yeah, you're a Christian, you're a believer. You know, you go to church, you go to Bible study, and you're trying to walk the walk and, and just things are not happening. And then you might even respond, well, what am I doing here? What good am I? What purpose am I? Thanks, Lord, you saved me, but what am I supposed to do? God has a plan. And if you've never searched that plan, you're not going to know. Maybe God wants you to be in children's ministry. Listen, the rest of your life, if you do it as unto the Lord, you're going to be joyful. I never asked for the pulpit. I was content going to the prison, 
going to the jails. I was content ministering to, you know, the down and outs in the streets. I, I enjoyed it. And all of a sudden, you know, take this class and take that class. And God puts me in touch with somebody. And next thing I know, I got this yearning to move 850 miles. And, you know, everybody in my family thought we were nuts. And you have a purpose. You have a reason. And so I want you to think of Manoah, and I want you to think of his wife. And then here comes the son finally. The Nazarites were the separated ones. That's what it means in the Hebrew to be separated for God, consecrated to God. And so look at verse 6 now. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me. I believe this is a Christophany of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Let's continue here. In verse 6, And his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. Very awesome. Now, if you have a King James, it says very terrible. The King James, sometimes their words are terrible. It's a better translation, the word awesome. But this is their English understanding, the way they understand. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine, nor similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. His was not 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. His was for life. And Samson finds this out. But Samson has his own mind. Samson has his own desires. Samson is driven, listen to this, by the flesh, by the lust of the flesh. And God has to deal with him. And I'm going to get ahead of myself, but you know how he finally got a hold of him? Lost his eyesight. Here's a man that was the strength of 25 men, if not more. And yet God said, okay, I have to break you down. And sometimes that does happen, church. Look at verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord. Now this is the husband. Uh, the angel of the Lord has already spoken to his wife. Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, my Lord, please let as a man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. Uh, this is an interesting take. Manoah, where's your faith? Manoah, your wife has told you that she saw the angel uh, of the Lord. A man came to speak to her. And now you're asking him to come back. But you know, God is gracious. There's times sometimes he has to come back and let us know more than once. And so, verse 9, I love this. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. God listened to the voice of Manoah. How many times you hear people say, well, I, you know, why should I pray God? He doesn't listen. Yes, he does. 
I, he doesn't, I, I'm just insignificant little me. Hey, God wants to hear your cries. God wants to hear your opinion. Tell him, talk to him, speak to him. That's prayer. And so I, I like <laughs> that the Lord is responding here. God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste quickly and told her husband and said to him, Look, the man who came to me uh, the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah rose and followed his wife. And when he uh, came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he says, I am. You know what I what struck me as amazing here that here's the angel of the Lord appearing to both appearing to both God had a plan for Samson and obviously mom and dad are part of that plan and so the angel of the Lord comes into the picture here and it's so beautiful uh, when you begin to see that Notice now in verse 12 and 13, Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. Uh, what will the boy's rule of life and his work? Whatever you're going to share with us, that's what he's trying to say. We're going to be obedient. And so the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. Let her be careful. In other words, how she's going to care for herself. And moms, you know this, when, when you're pregnant with child, God forbid you were smoking before, and hope to God you quit. And God forbid you're drinking a little more wine than you need to, but you find out you're with child, you back off. Because that child within you, you want a healthy, a good child. I remember when our oldest daughter was pregnant with the twins, and we... You know, we were waiting and waiting. It's been a couple of years now. And when she announced it to us, she goes, I can't believe you guys didn't know. And I go, why? How could we know unless you tell us? And she said, because I'd stopped drinking coffee. She was a coffee addict. And she didn't want her children to be coffee addicts. But I still didn't see it because I drank coffee too, you know. But, uh, it, you know, what I'm trying to say is that Manoah's wife is going to take care of that child in the womb. Is she pregnant yet? I don't know. But notice, you're not supposed to uh, partake of anything unclean and all this and all that. So then Manoah, verse 15, said to the angel of the Lord, Please, let us detain you, and we'll prepare a young goat, a sacrifice. I like what Pastor Chuck said. They wanted to make him some shish kebab. I don't know. But look at verse 16, and the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. You must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. A title often given to Jesus in the Old Testament. And the sacrifice would have been for him. I love this. In verse 17, Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? I like that. 
What is your name? And that when your words come to pass, uh, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name? Seeing that it's wonderful. If you have a King James, they use the word secret. But I thought it intriguing because the translation can be wonderful. It's the same word wonderful that's used in Isaiah 9.6. Jesus, the Messiah, would be the wonderful counselor. Interesting. Look at verse 19. So Manoah uh, took the young goat with her with a grain offering and offered it on the, on the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. He accepted the sacrifice. He accepted the burnt offering. In verse 20, it happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. He says, when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. Who ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1? Jesus. Jesus ascended. And then the, the angel said, why do you stand there gazing? This same Jesus that's ascending will descend. And he's talking about the end of the seven years of tribulation. I like this. Look at verse uh, 22. And verse 21 again, when the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die. Because we have seen God, we shall surely die because we have seen God. They knew that they were in the presence of holiness. I thought about in Exodus chapter 3, as Moses is before the burning bush, Moses, take off your shoes. Where you stand is holy ground. Remember the process of the priests before he would go into the holy of holies. I mean, he had to be right with God. The curtain would be pulled back. There's no lights. It, it was a 15-foot square. And the Shekinah glory of the Lord was there. Remember the high priest would have little pomegranate bells on the fringes of his, uh, of his robe, and that was to hear him move as he was, you know, ministering to the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And if he stopped, traditionally we're told there was a rope attached to one of his ankles. And that was because nobody else could go into the Holy of Holies. They would be in the holy place, and they would drag him out. I always like to see the face of that next high priest to go in there. Boy, he's confessing everything. He's doing double time on that. But God has a plan here. Even though Samson is going to blow it, God has a plan. Listen, King David, God had a plan. Did he blow it? Oh, yes, he did. Yes, he did. It's interesting how God uses uh, the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. I mean, Saul of Tarsus, wow. In fact, when he finally went to Damascus, the brother that was there didn't believe it. 
And then when God said, clean him up, take the scales off his eyes. You know who it is, Lord? God knew. In three days, God had transformed that man. He had already transformed him on the road to Damascus. We'll study that in Acts chapter 9. When the light shone round about him, remember his words, he's blinded. Is that you, Lord? He recognized the hand of God because up to that point, Saul of Tarsus had been persecuting the church. He acknowledged the death of a young boy, of a young man. And so <laughs> Saul was ready. He was ready. Notice now in verse 23, but his wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering uh, from our hands, or would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have uh, told us such things as these as this time. This is wisdom from this beautiful lady. She has to tell Manoah, hey, husband, you don't think we would have been dead already? God came in our midst. And he spoke to us as the angel of the Lord. And, and so verse 24, uh, the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. The word Samson in the Hebrew, it means like a son or like the son, S-U-N. And another uh, version, they translate it little son, again, S-U-N. And the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. At Manat, Dan, between Zora and Eslethal, Samson was called by God. Samson was called by God. And I can honestly tell you, in the early days of my ministry, I could sense the power of God. I could sense God speaking to me, ministering to me, as I would read. It seemed like the words jumped out uh, at my heart my mind, my soul. And as you get older, it's about faith. It's not about feeling. Because I know all of you, just like myself, you can read the Bible and then you go, well, I didn't get nothing. It's there. It's there. And so we, we walk by faith. We have to trust God by faith. And we see the women of faith. We see uh, the men of faith. And, and they had such faith. And I mean, even when Saul of Tarsus, which becomes Paul the apostle, and he goes to the Lord, and he says, take this thorn of the flesh away from me. Everybody, a lot of, most scholars believe it was his eyesight. But whatever it was, the malady that he had, the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for thee. And we don't find Paul asking anymore. We don't find Paul asking anymore. So Samson, Samson grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. Judges chapter 14. We're going to see the beginning here now. He goes to a place he shouldn't go. And people of God should not go to certain places. I don't know what that place is for you. I know what that place is for me. But why would you tempt the Lord? Now, most of you know I had a problem drinking way back in the day. 
And so when I heard this testimony of this man that got saved and his problem was drinking, and he walked to work and he walked home. And so he lived in the big city. And so every day he would go past his pub. And naturally he would go in there and he would drink. Then he would stagger home. This was routine for him. Well, after he comes to saving grace, he says, I can't even go past that. And so two blocks before he was going to cross that pub, he'd cross the street. And he'd go past the pub on the other side of the street. And then two more blocks, then he'd get back over. And somebody walked home with him one day and said, why do you do that? He goes, because I don't want to go in there. I don't want to go in there. Well, you don't have to go in there. No, you don't understand. There's a, a magical hook in there. And I'll go by. And I don't know what he's talking about. So we have no business. If you have to cross the street, then cross the street. And this is what is not going to be seen by Samson. He gets involved where he shouldn't get. And it begins here in verse 1, Judges chapter 14. Now Samson went down to Timnah. Timnah is like Egypt. Timnah is like Babylon. Timnah for me is Big John's bar. You don't belong there. You don't belong there. And some of you that are locals, I don't know what's the popular bar here that they knocked the one that was down here. But you find another one. Well, you don't belong there. Well, I want to go witness. No, you don't. Be careful. See, some of you tried it, huh? <laughs> okay. In verse 2. <laughs> oh. Lord, help me. In verse 2, so he went up and told his father and his mother, saying, now he's already grown up child. He's a young man now. And he's seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. The parents had to make a contract because they needed to get a dowry. And, and all this was very important for uh, the parents that owned, uh, you know, had the daughter. And so the dowry was to protect her. And so go, go make a, a, a contract. Go make a deal for me. Then his father and mother said to him, if there's no woman among the daughters of, of your brethren, the Israelites, or among all my people, uh, that you must go and, and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines. And Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she pleases me well. Okay, I have to insert this. Samson saw her. Obviously, she was beautiful. And he said, she pleases me. I've fallen head over heels. I'm in love with her. It's close to February, and I've already been hit by the arrow. No, it's not love, Samson. It's lust. It's lust. And obviously, we don't find that out until we're older. And uh, now, he's going to have to go through all of this. <sighs> Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she pleases me. She pleases me. I want you to write this down. We're not to be unequally yoked with a non-believer. Now, please, 
Don't leave here saying, oh, Pastor Bob says I can't marry uh, out of my ethnic background. That's not what I said. Don't be unequally yoked with a non-believer. And, and you know what a yoke was. The description of a yoke went over the two animals. And so you usually had two donkeys, or you had two oxen, or you had two bulls, whatever it might be. But if you switched one, you're unequally yoked. There's no way that a donkey and an oxen are going to uh, cooperate. It just won't work. And so we'll speak about that at the end. But notice now, but verse 4, he says, His father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. That was the purpose. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Even when we get it wrong, God has a plan. God has a way of escape. Who knows that you were put there for such a time as this? That's what was given to Esther. God has a reason. God has a purpose. And you might have blown it left and right because I've been there. You've been there. Well, how am I going to get out of this one finally? I've really blown it, Lord. Yet God has a plan. David saw Bathsheba. He wanted Bathsheba. He got Bathsheba. And she was pregnant. Instead of repenting, he tries to cover it. And he finally has her husband, Uriah, killed. And David still thought, I'm okay. He died in the heat of the battle. Well, David, you put him there. You gave a letter to him. And when the captain opened it, put this guy at the heated part of the battle. David knew exactly what he was doing. And yet, when I read the scripture that said about David, he was a man after God's own heart. That really floored me. Because he made some big mistakes. And yet God still used them. Look at verse 5. So Samson uh, went down to Timnah with his father and his mother and, and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now, uh, to his surprise, listen, a young lion came roaring against him. And so the parents have to go uh, to make, uh, you know, the, the, the contract, the agreement. But now he's going on his own, and they don't know about this, or he's going at a different time. In verse 6, Lion had been pretty evil, pretty, uh, pretty scary there. But the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat. Though he had nothing in his hand, no weapon of any kind, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. You know, young men are good at bragging. Guys are good at bragging. Hey, I ran into this lion. I tore him up, Dad. You'll be proud of me. Oh, NFL, right. Mm -hmm. You could pray for, play for the lions, no? That's a whole other issue. In verse 7, In verse 7, then he went down and he talked with a woman and he said, she, and, and she pleased Samson well. A after some time, when he returned to get her, uh, he turned aside uh, to see the carcass of the lion. 
time has elapsed and such. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey uh, were in the carcass of the lion. The, the Nazarite vow, and he knew it, he was not to touch a dead carcass, animal or human. And uh, it would have been easy for him to be bragging about this even more. Look at verse 10. So his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there. So the wedding feasts, usually with seven days, for young men used to do so. And it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. These would have been those that would have been close to him, those that would have been part of the, uh, the wedding ceremony. Remember, it's a whole week long. Then Samson said to them, let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me uh, within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And so the bet, basically, was inner garments and outer garments. And, and you know, think about 30 pieces, that's, that's quite a bit. In verse 13, but if you cannot explain it to me, the riddle, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And, and they said to him, pose your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, and I want you to think about the lion and, and, and the honey. Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now, for three days, they would not explain the riddle. It's driving these guys crazy. But it came to pass. Now, these are not Israelites. Uh, they were people that were, you know, put in his path in all this. It came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband that he may explain uh, the riddle to us, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? So that is not so. They threatened her. They threatened her. Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed this riddle uh, to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, Look, I have not explained it uh, to my own father or my own mother. So should I explain it to you? But ladies know how to do this, right? Please don't get mad at me. But watch the buttering up. And let's put some other blame. Guys love it. Control, right? And so, verse 18. So the men of the city said to him, on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, mark these words down. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved the riddle. Pretty strong words here. But he's being sarcastic. He's mad. He's upset. He's frustrated because uh, she gave in and she gave them the riddle. Now, it says in verse 19, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon, and he killed 30 uh, of their men, uh, took their apparel, 
and gave the changes of clothing uh, to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back uh, up to the, his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion. Didn't want her no more. Take the heifer. I don't need it. That's not what it says. Who had been his best man. Now, let's get to Samson again. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. And don't ever believe the lie. Well, you know, he's not quite there yet. But I'm positive when I marry him, he's going to be a Christian. He told me. He's going to go to church with me. Doesn't always happen, church. Doesn't always happen. And so Paul has to deal with this at the Corinthian church. And there was a lot of people that were coming, uh, coming to saving grace. They were unequally yoked. And so Paul has to deal with them, the ones that want to get married now. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse 11 with me. And I like the caption uh, in one of my Bibles that I was going to get ready to teach is, uh, Paul's teaching on being holy. Now, we, we, we tend to put up a, a flag or, or so. Well, wait a minute. I, I can't be holy. That's right. I, I, can't, I can't be righteous. Again, that's right. But we serve the one that is holy, and we serve the one that is righteous. Now, the word holy in, in the Greek is the word hagios, and the word hagios means to be separated. Separated from the things of the world, consecrated to God. That's what holiness basically means. Be careful. You know, I always thought uh, you got to have a halo, right? And so you look around, see if anybody has a halo. And you look in the mirror, and you don't have one, so you go, oh, man. That's not holiness. In verse 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, O you Corinthians, you have spoken openly to you. We have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open to you. We've shared everything, basically. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. We're loving you guys. We're here for you. We're sharing our hearts with you, but you're not as loving as you're supposed to be in Christ. They were coming against Paul. Now, in return for the same, I speak as to children. You also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. It's not about the race. It's not about anything else, but you're not supposed to be with a non-believer. Now, you can have a non-believing friend. Now you're thinking of marrying this non-believing friend. It's not going to work. For what fellowship, and he goes into this whole explanation, what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? The answer is nothing. And what communion has light with darkness? Nothing. None. They don't mix. And then in verse 15, and what accord has Christ with Belial? The word Belial is worthless, wicked. It's also a word used for Satan. Used for Satan. Or what part has a believer, listen, for with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the, the temple of God with idols? Again, nothing. 
for you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate. Be holy, saith the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And so Paul's given us insight, and we're, that's New Testament, obviously. But look what Samson was preparing to do, and it's going to get worse. And Samson was all about the lust of the flesh, and he knew better. He, he was raised a Nazarite, and yet he was so quick to, you know, jump the fence. And he got frustrated. The first girl that he picked, well, he doesn't want to know no more because he doesn't trust her. But he's going to get deeper and deeper and deeper. But God still used him. And I think that's the beauty of the God that we serve. He calls us to obedience. Do we fail? Yes. But God is faithful. God is just to forgive us of our sins. I thank you. I thank you. Because not one person here, including myself, is perfect. We're not perfect. We're, we're imperfect, and we need God. But he's working on us. He's chipping away that old man. He's chipping away that old woman. And I don't know about you, but I get frustrated when, you know, he's chipped it away, and then I have a tendency to put it back together because I have a bottle of glue, and I know how to put the pieces back. Be careful. Be careful. Sooner or later, it'll catch up. Sooner or later. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much. For your goodness and your grace and your love and your mercy. Lord, I pray that as the message has come forth uh, out of the Old Testament today, tonight, Lord, uh, I pray that if there's anybody that's struggling with an unequally yoked situation, maybe somebody listening to the CD later, or somebody watching by live stream, whatever it might be, or somebody here at the chapel, it's better to let this thing go once and for all. But the enemy's there, hammering away. And so, Father, I thank you for the Old Testament that teaches us, for the Old Testament that's pointing uh, to the cross. Lord, you are so loving, so kind. You are so forgiving. Merciful is our God. Thank you, Lord, for the grace of God. Unmerited favor. Cause us, Lord, to continue to, to learn and to glean and, to, and just to take uh, those little nuggets of gold that you have for us, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen.